Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. I am intentionally encouraged when I see people doing business the right way. And for the last 15 years, Damon Burton and his team at SEO National have done just that. Now you might say, Brian, what can they do for me and my business? I'm going to tell you what they can do for you. They can help you understand search engine optimization. There are a lot of players out there in the marketplace, but you want a team of people that are going to be dedicated to working with you and helping you to understand search engine optimization and how you can show up higher on search engines so that you can bring more revenue into your business. Damon and his team are full of integrity, honesty, decency, and trust. And if that's important to you and that encourages you, I would encourage you to give them a call today at 855-736-6285 or go to seonational.com and get a free quote and tell them you heard about it on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Get ready for a dynamite conversation coming up right now on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. Part two of my conversation with Lisa Riggs, the Sock Queen royalty in the house with Sock Queen here. And if you if you listened to part one, and again, you should have. You should have been fully versed on this. Lisa told you all about what she does. Now we're going to take you behind and tell you the story of how Lisa got here. And so, Lisa, I want you to go as far as you want to go back, tell as much of your story as you can. I'll jump in from time to time and ask a couple of different questions. But um, take me as far back as you want to take me, some challenges in business, life, things like that. And I, I just want people to know the journey to where you are today. Sure. Um Let's see. I'm trying to debate how far back to go. <laughs> There's quite a few years. Um, well, once my, upon a time you know, in the land far, far away. That, that might, <laughs> you know, might be a good start. Not that far away. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a, I, I have a very happy family. I, I love my parents, my brother. Um, but I was a, a girl that struggled with, um, I didn't like myself. I had zero self-confidence growing up. And so it's ironic, like just this, this journey I've gone through where, you know, I, I never wanted to stand out. I never wanted to be the center of attention or, or just, you know, stand out in a crowd. And now that's what my socks help my customers do is to stand out and be memorable. And, and so I've been able to take my journey from, you know, just that lack of self-confidence, um, to turning it around to really, you know, making it a positive thing and helping people be able to express themselves and, and be memorable. I've gone from having the, I, I, I had a magician's assistant and just like, not like you think to the sock queen and things like that. But, but, and I say that because you talk about struggling with self-confidence growing up and, and now it's like, okay, I embrace who I am. I embrace this, this public side of, of who I am and what I do. How long did it take you? to figure out what was it a journey into adulthood for you or did you kind of overcome that you know as a teenager things like that how was that transition for you to becoming a confident kind of person because sometimes you either 
like like I growing up, I I don't feel like I've never not had self confidence. So for me, that's kind of a foreign concept. I, I I've always been a confident person. But what was your transit? What was that transition like for you? And when did it really start for you in your life? Yeah, one of the best things someone ever said to me was my 12 year old friend. And this is this comes from a boy. And he said, Lisa, no one, how is anyone ever going to like you unless you like yourself? And it certainly didn't change for me at that point. Um, it really, I think I started once I got once I went to college and started to gain some independence was when I started to grow my confidence when I started to be able to see, oh, I, I can do this by myself. And why would I ever doubt myself? And I, I got really good grades and like, oh, I am smart. And you know, and, and so I started, it was really kind of getting that independence and, and proving myself. Um, even as I had, you know, when I got married, finding somebody who loved me exactly for me, uh, was a huge piece as well. And, and he helps me love myself, um, having my kids as well. Just, I became, it became less about me and more about my family. And that was a really big help. I have always been a type A perfectionist. <laughs> and so, you know, I think too, just even, you know, at my age now, you know, just coming to that understanding that it's never going to be perfect you know, whatever it is that you're trying to get to that is perfect is, is never going to be perfect. And, um, and, you know, just accepting that accepting, you know, whether it's, you know, what we think of ourselves, our image, you know, what we accomplish, accepting that it, it's, it's not going to be perfect and that's okay. And, and so it's still a journey. Like I still, I, you know, I, I, I have, I definitely am a confident person at this point. I mean, my gosh, I put myself out there on LinkedIn with videos and, you know, yeah. and, and I, I put myself out there and, and people can be harsh on social media and, and, and so it is a risk and, but it's helped me like just the encouragement and just the more people I interact with, the more I enjoy it. And it's, it's less about who I am or how I feel. And it's about the experience and about, it's about just the ability to meet all of these people And the business has, it's catapulted me to meet people. Like I never expected I would be able to have in those experiences. And, and, and like I said, yeah, it's, it's not about me. It's, it's about the experience. It's about the, the relationships, the networking, the people I'm meeting their stories. And, um, and then it takes kind of that whole, are you confident or not out of it? Yeah. You know, what I was thinking as you were talking, Lisa, is that you sell a product that if it's not perfect, it's okay. Because it's not like a shirt or like we were talking before in the first part of, of this, ep of this episode, you can get away with imperfection in socks. You, you can't, you can hide it. You can get away with it. I would think. Okay. And I'm not, listen, I am not the sock queen. I am not anywhere in sock royalty. Okay. This is just how I kind of, in my tiny mind, how I kind of perceive it. When you talk about perfection and, and having that type A perfectionist personality, what was the thing, maybe the event or something that happened that made you kind of say, I don't really have to be, because I would not picture you talking with you now as, as long as we've talked. I don't get that perception of you. I don't perceive you as a a type A perfectionist personality because you just have this really calm demeanor about yourself. When did things start to kind of loosen for you where you could say, hey, it's okay for things not to be perfect in my life? 
That's a good question, and, and I'm glad I'm hiding the control freak side of myself from you. And you're and doing it great. You are doing you are doing an expert <laughs> that's, level job. That's very good. I have hiding. read. I, I have read that almost every like entrepreneur has to have that control freak side of them, or else you you maybe wouldn't get you know get through all of the hardships. But so I'm just going to embrace that part of it. Um, you know, it really just started. I think. Um, started a lot when I, you know, when I started to, I was running, um, when I, I was just more involved in the school when I, when I was home with the kids and, and I was just starting to put myself out there. I was in community settings and, and I knew what I was doing was about the school. It was for the good. Again, it didn't have anything to do with me. And, um, I also knew because it was volunteer, I could not control everything. And that if I, I, I actually, though, I did used to say, the hardest part about volunteering is that you can't fire volunteers <laughs> no, because, you know, yeah. you get those people that they're like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And then you get to two days before the event and they haven't done it. And, um, but anyways, it, it was just being able just realizing, like, especially when you become a parent, I mean, there's, you can't control situations. You have to go with the flow and perfect doesn't exist at all. When it comes like, I'm, when it comes to being a mother, I just, you know, I just did the best that I could. And I think that's when that was part of, and same as a, same as, you you know, as a friend, as a, as a wife, as all, every role that I play, sister, you know, I, I, I transitioned it to just doing the best that I could. And, um, and I felt like as long as the people know that I, how I felt about them, that I cared about them or love them, depending on, you know, the relationship that hopefully my best would be enough. And, you know, and, and that, that then can apply to our work and, you know, our, um, you know, our volunteer lives are, you know, the way I play sports, like I did the best I could, I might not have won, but, um, if I feel like if I go out there and I do my best, that is something I can be proud of. And, um, and that takes away that perfectionist, you know, need. Well, I loved what you said about, and this is what I wrote down, knowing your sense of purpose in the midst of community. Mm -hmm. be, because it would be easy to say, and, and I, I know what you're talking about there, being a parent, being involved. I was a public address announcer when my son played high school basketball. And so, you know, I knew when I walked in the gym what I was about to do, and I knew I could do it very well, but still it was – you know, you still had parents and grandparents going, how many, kids, how many points did my kids score? Did you get that? You know, things like that. And so, you know, I knew kind of like, hey, listen, when when the mic's on, that's probably not the time to come interrupt me. <laughs> and I was I was kind of like that with, with some parents is like, listen, I'm not trying to be mean, but when you when you see me pull that microphone to me, I had a job to do. Yeah, I got a job to do. I got to, I got to make sure that I'm transmitting information that benefits the whole instead of benefiting you. Mm -hmm. And so I love that. Take me now through your entrepreneurial journey. We touched on a little bit in part one, but I want to know more about your entrepreneurial journey. Cause you mentioned to me, and, and again, you go back and listen to part one. You talk about a little bit of that transition, but, but bring us back up to speed about your career and how you ended up um, at point A in your career to where you are now as the sock queen. I mean, come <laughs> on, man. who else? There, there's not too many people on the planet. You know, it's a very small amount of people. It's like, you know, you, you meet someone, it's like, well, kiss the ring. I am royalty. I am the sock queen, you know? Yeah. 
I can say actually, so the the way I love some... that. By the way, I mean, forgive me for that. But I mean, that is such a cool. Listen, that that takes confidence to be able to go. Listen, I believe I'm the sock queen, and here's why, and here's what we do. But kind of take us through that journey a little bit. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. Prices are going up by the day. We've got to find ways to increase our household revenue. Now, a couple ways you could do that is, one, you could go and ask your boss for a raise. But if that doesn't work, I've got another way for you. It's my friend Joe Hart's program called Products for Profit. Joe's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourage podcast and told his story about how learning retail arbitrage changed his life, and he's been helping thousands of people change theirs. Now, retail arbitrage is simply this. It's taking a product and buying it and then reselling it online for a higher price, and you keep the profits. And guess what? Amazon and Walmart use third-party resellers every day to fulfill their customer orders. I want you to go to productsforprofit.com or productsforprofit.carrd.co. Get connected to Joe's team. Tell him you heard about it on the Intentional Encourager podcast and start making money today with Products for Profit. And now let's get back to more great conversation on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Sure. And, and I can just tell you too, like part of the, part of the self-coronation of the, of the sock queen was people started calling me the sock lady. And I just always envisioned being surrounded by cats. And I was like, no, 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 we got to change the narrative. And so that's, I, I, I gave that a try and it, it stuck and people seem to remember me for it. And so I just, I lean into it and I go with it. Um, but yeah, so my my career, I, I started out in HR and um, I was working in Silicon Valley in high tech. I loved it. My career was, you know, on this crazy trajectory and I was just getting promoted and and um, it was challenging and I enjoyed it. And um, but at the same time, I had gotten married and we wanted to start a family. And when unfortunately, when I had kids, kind of everything changed. Um, my boss even pulled me in a couple months after coming back from my first child. And she said, Lisa, it's a shame your priorities have changed. And I was absolutely taken aback. And I said, my priorities have never changed. My family has always come first. It's just now I have to leave by six o'clock to pick them up from daycare. Um, but, and then, you know, when I got pregnant with my second child, they were joking about me giving birth on the boardroom table. And, and it, it kind of wasn't a joke. Like I, they were, they were kind of joking, but they kind of weren't like, they didn't want me to leave. Forgive me for jumping in here. I, Go I ahead. ask you, I'm going <laughs> to ask you this, Lisa. I, I live 2,500 miles from from you out where you're at in California, sure. 20,000 miles. Coast to coast, yeah. Exactly. So I've never really been to Silicon Valley, but you hear stories, you you hear about all these different things that happen and things like that. What was the biggest, in, in, in your boss saying to you, um, you know, I, I just can't imagine being around someone that would have that level of going, okay, well, yeah, you had a kid, but, um, six o'clock, you know, you come on, chop, chop. We got, we got work to do things like that. What was some, what was one thing that was eye opening to you about your time at Silicon Valley that you said, if I own my own business or I do it this way, I'm never doing this one thing that you saw in, in your time in Silicon Valley. Definitely. So, um, and as a note, but my female boss said that to me Yeah. in HR, like you can't get a better setup to maybe be understanding. And I also, the note about me leaving at six o'clock, I was in the office by eight 
it wasn't like I was pulling in at noon, you know, and, and pulling out. And, uh, so the, uh, one of the other, they transitioned me, I went part-time, um, to try, we were trying to just work something out that was going to work. And so I, I went part-time and then they transitioned me to supporting customer support, which is a 24 seven environment. And so here I'm supposed to be a part-time home with my infant and, or, you know, I was still in the office three days a week. I was working when I wasn't supposed to be working when I was at home with him because they transitioned me to a 24 seven uh, support environment. And I just felt the whole time, like they were setting me up for failure. And that was my takeaway was I knew if I ever ran my own business, I would ensure that I set people up, set my employees, set the company up, set myself up for success. I would never put somebody in that situation where they just feel like they are set up for failure. And if I did accidentally or unintentionally, I would want those lines of communication to be so well established and open that they feel like they could come to me and we could have that conversation because it definitely happens unintentionally. But the, you know, the person in that circumstance needs to, there needs to be a relationship there where they, they feel like it, they're not going to lose their job if they come to you and have this conversation. So that was, that was one of my biggest takeaways. My other big takeaway, I've always said this, if I ever ran my own business, I would give my employees their birthdays a holiday. And I do that. Wow. So wow. shouldn't you have your birthday as a holiday? You should not work on your birthday. I, I worked for a food company that we did that, having yeah. your birthday as a holiday. Now, my 50th birthday was a few weeks ago, and it fell on a Saturday. So, I mean, it was – but it, and, and I'm not one of the kind of these people, like, some people are like, well, my birthday month, and I'm going to celebrate all month. I'm like, nah, I, nah, not that. But I love what you said there about being set up for failure – and ensuring that that wasn't going to happen in your business. Because I think a lot of entrepreneurs, Lisa, I, or at least I believe this, that a lot of entrepreneurs say, because my dad said this as a pastor. He told me, he said, I learned what not to do as a pastor by seeing all the different things that I saw. And so I, I, I had all this body of knowledge that I said it, when, when I got in the chair, I was going to do it this way. And I, I believe a lot of entrepreneurs say that, and I believe that's why the entrepreneurial spirit is, is so great mm -hmm. in our country, because there is so many ways that you can go to market. There's so many ways you can run your business, so many ways you can do this or that. Take me to the moment that you had that epiphany of this life is not for me, because as you're rolling through your story, mm -hmm. I got to imagine that you're trying to keep all the balls in the air trying to do the best you can for your family and your company. And there's a point where it was like, I just can't do this anymore. What was that epiphany moment like for you? I actually, it actually was, I was in a meeting. We were in a departmental meeting and I'm listening to like, we were working on this big project and we were almost completed. It was almost completed. And then they're just bringing in all these things to basically, I felt like we were spinning our wheels in the mud. It, it was, it just was like to keep us busy or it didn't seem to have any intent or make sense or have a goal. And I was sitting there and I'm like, what am I doing? What am I doing? I could either a, like, it's always been my passion to make the world a better place. And so a, I could be in a job where I'm actually accomplishing that or B, you know, do I step away for a while and be with my, you know, one and three-year-old and, you know, raise them for a little while instead of putting them in daycare every morning. So yeah, it was just that meeting and just, just like, what are we, what am I doing with my life? And obviously uh, they, 
you know, I, I didn't add much value to the meeting because I was just spinning in my head the whole time going, what is going on? But yeah, that's, that's what led me. And then my, my husband and I um, started talking about, you know, started pulling out the finances. Can we make this work? What should we do? Um, you know, what should we do? And, and, uh, and that's where we decided to take a risk and let me stay home. Well, here's the thing too. And, and I've been, we've, we've all noticed in, in the news lately, this term called quiet quitting. Yes. Yes. It's very interesting. It's very divisive. Go, go ahead and talk on that for just a minute. I want to, I want to get your take on that. You know, I feel like it's so interesting because my kids are Gen Z and talking to them about it is so like the first time I ever read about, it, I read it on LinkedIn and it was from, I would guess maybe somebody from, you know, around my generation where it's like, you know, people are just dialing it in. They're not trying, they're not putting in extra effort. There's no heart. That was kind of the take on it. And when I talk to, you know, my, like my kids about it or, or people from younger generations, they're like, no, 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 no. What it is, is we have watched the baby boomers and Gen X kill themselves over their jobs for companies that do not care about them. And we're not going to do that. So we are going to do our job and we're yeah. going to do it well, but we're not going to do all of the extra effort that you guys have been doing. And, um, I think there's, there's the two sides of it are really interesting. I don't know that there's a clear definition for quiet quitting because everybody's got such an interpretation, right. but I can say like my husband, for example, he gets emails on, you know, on weekends and they're like, why haven't you responded by noon on Saturday? And like, well, because I was cleaning the pool and mowing the lawn and, you know, and, and because I was yeah. doing chores because I was doing my stuff and, and I, I could, so, you know, I definitely see the benefit of like this expectation. I feel like the pandemic a little bit took the walls down of, well, we know you're home, you can work like yeah. holidays and stuff didn't exist for a while. Right. In the pandemic, we had to reestablish it because you couldn't go anywhere. But I feel like some of those boundaries have gotten blurred on weekends. Like we, are we really expected to work? all weekend now too and be responsive or do we when do we get that well, time to here's, here's what, and i love where you're going with this lisa because i think a lot of times i believe this to be the truth that we're tethered to responsiveness one way or the other mm -hmm. to me i'm i'm a responsive person if you send me a message i'm going to respond when i can and how i can now i'm i may be delayed a day or two but i'm going to respond just because I believe that's just basic human decency when someone reaches out to respond. But I also, I like where you're taking this conversation too, because I believe to some point, um, our grandparents, for instance, parents, grandparents, um, I, like I said, I'm 50. So my parents would be that baby boomer generation their parents would have been that that world war one generation of the deep sense of responsibility mm -hmm. and i feel and, and i believe that that we have diluted to a lot of degrees that deep sense of responsibility that our parents and grandparents had and and that we have the generation that says okay, well, I can do it later. I can do it another time or something like that. Because I have those same conversations with my 22-year-old. My mm -hmm. I'm like, procrastination is not a skill you want to develop. Trust your dad here. Because I was a procrastinator, right? And, and it just didn't have good responses. But, but, but I also feel like that, that, to your point, 
there are some things that we just can't procrastinate. Mm-hmm. There's some things we got to to take care of and move. And, and I heard um, Dave Ramsey talk about this. He talks about entrepreneurship. And he says, listen, if there are some things in life that if you don't take care of, you're going to be forced to take care of, like your health, your finances, things like that. So, But I think it's interesting. You came from an environment in Silicon Valley. And again, whether this is this assumption is correct or not, I don't know. I've talked to people in Silicon Valley, and it always seems like everyone there, and, and I could be making a false assumption. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Were you around a lot of people that were chasing a lot of things in their careers, maybe chasing status, chasing finances, chasing certain certain things, and that just didn't set well with you? Because as you were talking about the meeting, you were like, I thought I was going to give birth there on the on the the meeting table. That's hardcore, Lisa. I mean, that is hardcore. Trust me. And it, and it feels like a byproduct of chasing something that is always going to be just a little bit out of reach. Am, am I am I going in the right direction there? I hope I am. Um, you know, I, I would never say everybody because that's just too general. Of absolutely, an absolutely. And that's so that's far say, too broad of a term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, w- I would say in general. One of the things we feel like living here, and I love the Bay Area. I was born here. I'm I'm um. You know, I'm a native. I, my family's here. I'm a diehard sports fan of our local teams. I, I, I'm proud to be, uh, you know, native from San Jose and, and live in the Bay Area. But I would say one of the, like this is this is the land of opportunity. California has always been the gold rush, right? And Silicon Valley mm-hmm. and Hollywood like still feed into that modern day gold rush now. And we do see people coming from everywhere in the world to come here to make their money and then they go back. Right. So that's, that's a piece of what we see. And it's interesting because sometimes like I would, we would like them to contribute to the community, to be a part of it. And they're just here to make their money and run. Um, I would say that's, and again, not everybody, we've just seen this in certain instances. I would also say it's, it's a very competitive environment and starting with the schools, it's just, um, it's competitive to, you know, to succeed to you know um achieve your wildest dreams uh they're definitely i think this is pretty much anywhere um possibly you know (laughs) probably as much in la as it is here you know people chasing after the pot of gold for sure and, and making sacrifices for that i do think there's such a better focus now on wellness in a lot of the companies and understanding that our health is something that um, you know, that has to be the most important thing to us. It's yeah. and time. I feel like t- time is, it's not something you get back. It's a finite amount that we get. And so, um, I do feel like the, the shift in to focusing on wellness is helpful. But when you're talking about like our grandparents and our parents, they did like, my dad is a workaholic. He was running a company at age 35 and, um, and he would work 6am to 6pm. I, I specifically remember because dinner was on the table at 630. And if he was home or not, we ate, but he was six to six. But the difference that our grandparents and our parents had was when they left the office, there was no way to reach them. There was not email. There was like my, my dad had a secretary who answered the phone. There was no voicemail. There was nothing. And so work hours actually stopped. And I think that's where, you know, these, the later generations now with a cell phone, you can find anybody at any time. And I think that's where the boundaries have gotten blurred and um, possibly, you know, back to the quiet quitting part of probably while that, why that pushback is coming is just because you can send me an email on a Saturday 
I, I will respond to you. I agree with you. I absolutely, I respond to everybody that doesn't cold email me, Yeah, 100%. Uh, you know, and I, I will respond to you, but it's going to be during business hours. It's not going to yeah. be, you know, when I'm spending time with my family or I'm out doing something fun. I'm out, you know, doing the things I enjoy because I deserve that. And I love what you said there, forgive me. I, I love what you ahead. said there about your, your dad was when he was in the office, he was in the office. Yeah. When he was out of the office, he was out of the office. And I love that because I think we need to go back to that, Lisa. I agree. 100%. And, and you know that very well being an entrepreneur. So now take me to the to the journey of socks. Sure. Right? Sure. You know, I, I yeah. mean, you know, I was thinking about something a minute ago that you were talking and we were talking and, I, and, I, and I've kind of teased you and, and I don't mean it to be a tease. I think it's absolutely fabulous, the, the headline, the sock queen. I, I feel like people, I feel like when people approach you and, and they bow, that you should stick a foot out and go, you know, you know instead of kiss the ring, you know, like, like, here's this, you know, this is the sock. This is what makes me royalty, you know? Yeah. yeah. But take me through that journey of, of not only starting your own company, but doing it in socks. I, I think that is just so cool. Yeah, what you have done. And we talked about personal branding in the first part of our podcast episode, but walk me through the journey of how you got into the sock business. Yeah. So as I mentioned, I, I quit my job and I was home with the kids. And so I, uh, we got to a point where I was on our education foundation. I was running the after-school sports program, which was at the middle school, which was 90% parent funded. And I had done t-shirts for the brand for branding the year before to establish, you know, our sports in Moreland. And this next year, I was trying to think of something that would motivate donations. Since it was 90% parent funded, we needed the parents to pay every season that their child pay played, not just in the fall. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. You know dreams are powerful pieces of intentional encouragement. We all have them. If you're a business owner, you've probably always dreamed of taking your sales to levels you've never seen before. I've got a guy that can help you with that. His name is Brad Norwood. My good buddy Brad has been on the Intentional Encourager podcast as a guest before, and he is a dream specialist. His company, Dream It Pro, offers incentive packages to travel to places such as the Masters, Kentucky Derby, the Super Bowl, even exotic places that you've always wanted to take your team, but you just didn't know how to do it. Brad's your guy. And oh, by the way, Brad's a certified bucket list coach, so he can help your team members achieve their personal dreams as well. I want you to go to www.dreamitpro.com and find out more or call him directly at 479-466-6907. And by the way, tell him you heard it on the Intentional Encourage podcast. Let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourage podcast. And so we see this huge drop off and, and we still had to pay all the costs. And so and Lisa, that happens in a lot of communities. It, oh, it, it definitely it, does. Well, yeah, it's very common. It's not, it's not a yeah. judgment on anybody. It's very common. No, it like, happened oh, not too domain. far from here. I, know, I don't mean to interrupt you again, but it had happened not too far from here. Um, a few years ago in Columbus, Ohio, we're about three hours from Columbus, Ohio. And they were one of the first in this region to begin a kind of pay for play kind of thing because the cost of equipment kept just kept going up and up and up and they just needed to do something to get that revenue back into their athletic departments just so they can afford equipment and and Buses, things that the schools had yeah 100 transportation is so expensive so yeah it's a huge part of it and so 
I was trying, and I was also actually coaching the girls volleyball team. And I had this idea for socks. I was like, wait a second. What if we did custom socks and we made, we made a matcher uniform and we used them as a donation incentive. And so I ran it by my seventh grade girls and they were jumping up and down. They love the idea. And I thought, oh, and then I can give a free pair to the coaches and that'll motivate them to wear them. And, and so, um, and what we did was we asked for a certain dollar amount to, to donate. And we said, but if you donate this amount, you get, you would, you get a free pair of socks. And so it went crazy. We sold 200 pairs of socks in less than a week. I made, uh, donations were up by 140% and I made a $17 profit margin per pair of socks. And, and we had to reorder, we had to reorder 200 more pairs immediately. And then I had all the middle school students and the principal actually came, she called me into her office and sat me down and she's like, we need to get socks for the rest of the school. And I said, no, it's just for the athletic program. It's gotta be their motivator so that we can do this. And, um, and it just like was so wildly successful that I took a step back and was, and talked to my husband about, wow, should I, you know, we did the cliche sit at the kitchen table and should I make this a business? And, and so I decided to build it from the ground up and I had had some business ideas before and I'd run it by like my closest family and friends and they'd be like, oh, no, I don't think so. But when I told them this idea, they all were like, I think, yeah, they, they all supported me. And, and so I, I went after it. And so that was where the socks started as a fundraiser because it's, they're practical. They're simple because they're the one size fits all. People actually wear them and, and it's just an easy fundraiser. And with my background, there's so many different ways to bring it in. Stocking stuff for fundraisers. You mentioned the holidays and like, that's just a huge, it's just an easy fundraiser, easy time of year because people buy socks as holiday gifts anyways. It applies for any holiday you celebrate. And so there's lots and lots of different ways to do it. So that was kind of, that's how it started. If you, if you had said to yourself, and I asked you this in, in kind of part one, like if you could go back and, you know, give yourself some advice. Did you ever think in your wildest dreams that you would be in the sock business? I mean, you know, because some people fall into really good ideas. Some people just say, well, I was, I needed this and I invented it and that's how I got. I mean, you could watch an episode of Shark Tank, Lisa. Mm-hmm. And, and find that, that that's how most people get into business is that they found a, a problem and they had a solution for it. You really didn't have a problem other than your school needed extra money to afford some of these things. I just think it's amazing how you ended up in not only in business, but in that business. Yeah. And especially because like I was a white sock wearing person, I was angry when I went to the shoe store and they, all they had were these designed socks. And so it was not that like, I do not come from a background of some sock collector that's crazy about them. It was more a practical idea and, and fundraising is a challenge. Yeah. And one of the things that was happening in our state and across other states was the health and wellness guidelines were starting to take away more and more fundraiser restaurant fundraisers and such and yeah. and so i joke all the time the socks are gluten-free right you can just use them for anything <laughs> and, uh, and i'm working now gluten-free too. socks i love <laughs> gluten free and even like i'm working with uh you know a lot of schools do fun runs and they're tired of the t-shirts and, and socks make sense for the run right you're going to be running yeah. and so you know we put so it just, it, it applies in so many ways, but yeah, no, definitely didn't come from a love of socks. Although I do love them now. I feel, I find, I love finding fun ones everywhere I go. Well, I think you have to, to, to love it because it's your business, right? I mean, it's, right. it's, it's what you're doing and, 
and it's how you're earning a living and things like that. Yep. Walk me through the family part. When, when, when you and your husband, obviously you talked to us about, you know, some of the challenges you were having as a mom and things like that. You, you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, get, sitting down at the kitchen table and saying, Hey, can we do this? Is this going to be viable? Take me through when you said, Hey, I'm all in on this now. What was that conversation like amongst you and your husband and your family? Was there fear? I mean, walk me through, through that time where you decided we're going to be all in on this. Yeah, it was, um, it, you know, having their support, I had some people that I knew in the right places, like one of my friends was a web developer, my husband actually is in finance. And so kind of the pieces were falling into place. And it just felt like it was worth the risk. Uh, I had a I had an, a plan of action to go to a couple of conventions, actually, and test out like in person go, you know, as a way to get leads and, and just yeah. kind of test out is this even a good idea? And so, um, you know, and, and so I, I put it to, you know, put boots to the ground right away as soon as I could to no pun get, intended, right? Yeah. And for a company that, you know, that I could grow. And if it was, if it actually was a good idea. Putting boots to the ground, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Sorry about that. We lost connection there for a minute, but yeah, keep talking. Go ahead. Keep talking. I was pretty much done. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. Technical okay. difficulties, folks. We're having it them. Happens. We're having them at, at the moment. Yeah. We're having some, some equipment issues here, but, um, um, you know, Lisa, I asked you in the first part as we kind of wrap up this part of our conversation, I want to ask you again, though. As far as, and I know you shared your, your biggest piece of business intentional encouragement. And, and I love that you talked about, go back and, and listen to that. Has there been a piece of intentional encourage you, encouragement that has sustained you in life? Because you have, you've overcome some obstacles. You know, you, you, you think your, your life's going to go a certain way. You, you overcome self-esteem issue. And then your life goes in a different direction and you now you're an entrepreneur and things like that. What's been a piece of intentional encouragement that's really helped you and sustain you through, through obviously some of the highs and lows of business and life? You know, it really, I mentioned it before, I, I truly do want to make the world a better place. Um, not that I'm going to do it on a global level and cure world hunger, but uh, when my kids were little, for example, I taught them. It's it's the simple things. It's like saying please and thank you. It's holding the door open for somebody. It's picking up a piece of trash at the park. There's simple things we can do to improve our community and the space around us. Leave the world a better place it was than before we got there. Yeah. And that's what I always taught them. And and that's what motivates me with this company is because I, you know I donate five percent of my profits towards providing socks to the homeless in this country. I work with nonprofits that need to raise money for, for you know for genetic research for you know to um, for their organization to you know try to fight or develop or, you know, do whatever they're doing. And, um, and then I work with organizations too, that it just, it just does, it makes their world a better place because it gives them some joy. So that's really what keeps me motivated, um, to, you know, get up and, and do this every day. I love it. Making the world a better place. And, 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 you know, some people will say, um, different things and, and, you know, 
I love the the attitude that you have because again, people might say, "Ah, oh, Lisa, you're selling socks. Come on, you know how, how you know what what what's right. that all about?" But again, it's about and you mentioned this in part one. I have to go back there for just a quick second. It's it is the joy of the giver and the receiver. That, that I, that's just just popping with me right now. And so again, I hope this conversation is encouraging to you. Lisa, we had a couple of technical hiccups here with with equipment. We're going to have that, but you have been a trooper sticking with us. Again, remind folks how they can get in touch with you if they want to do something for their company as far as personal branding or or maybe they, you know, a, a high school, you know, that that wants to do something different for their their sports teams, things like that. How can folks get in touch with you? Yeah, thanks for having me on the show, Brian. It's been a blast. I really appreciate it too. Um, they so the company is Spirit Socks USA. Socks is in, is S O X, and you can always find us on. You know, you can find our website is spiritsocksusa.com. My email, it's all consistent, is Lisa at spiritsocksusa.com. And you can reach me at 408-513-3645. Or like I said, really easy to find me on LinkedIn. I'm there every day. Awesome. Except weekends. Take weekends, off. yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. Lisa, I can't thank you enough for joining me on the Intentional Encourager podcast. This has been such a blast. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. I really appreciate it. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.